You're listening to The Poncho Section, conversations about all things media and Mel Brooks. It's a podcast. And here's your hosts, Michael Canfer and Ethan Feldstein. Lights, camera, action. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Poncho Section. Now, if you've listened to us before, you know that we love movies. So we are blessed today. It is awesome to have two filmmakers on. We have Francisco and David Salazar. They are filmmakers and media creators who have directed a number of short films under their company, La Quarta Productions, including Adrift, Bullied, Reverie, Messenger, and Conciliation. All their films have been showcased at regional film festivals all over the United States, with Adrift currently available on Amazon Prime. Together, they have also directed numerous commercial videos for BMW, Fordham University, Opera Rocks Productions, and Quinones Healthcare. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hello, how Thanks are for you? having us. Yes. Of course. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> doing well, thank you. Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's nice out. Not nice enough, but... Yeah? <laughs> yeah, we were just talking before, before we got rolling. Like, it's like one of those days where you look outside and it actually looks nice, and then you step out and it's still cold. Yeah. It's still not springtime yet. It's deceiving. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like we had that tease about a month ago, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. when, when's this coming out? This will come out probably in a few weeks, right? So today, yeah. today's actually St. Patrick's Day. We're, yeah. we're repping our green today. We're not. <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're not. <laughs> it's okay. They don't know that. They can't right. see. Yeah. <laughs> we're, all, we're all wearing green today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's Irish today, right? That's how that goes? I mean, yes. we're, you know, none of us are, have Irish heritage at no. all, so we're just kind of going with the flow here. Yeah. So, what is it like being a movie maker? I mean, it's it's hard work. You know, it's interesting because I was watching this interview by Guillermo del Toro yesterday, and he was on a Mexican uh, television show, and they were asking him, how does it feel to win Oscars and be so successful? And he's this amazing metaphor about how, you know, people see filmmakers and careers and success like a car crash. You know, they'll look at, you know, most people, outsiders, will see the car crash from the outside. They'll see the accident, and they'll just think about, did he get out alive? And can you move on? But the person experiencing the career, it's like a car crash in slow motion. You hear all the bumps, you feel all the bruises, and then it just feels like it's going on forever. All the pain, all the challenges, all the difficulty. And then you get out, and you still got to go through all the process of recovery from that. So he's talking about how like he went 10 years without making a movie, and the challenges behind that. And I mean, that's kind of what it is as a filmmaker. Uh, in, obviously, we're not at that level. Um, because we're just making our first feature film, but just to get there has it's, been quite a quite a journey. It's it's a roller coaster ride because you you go through a lot of challenges. You have a lot of uh, uh, yeses and nos. It's kind of like more nos than yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot more nos than yeses. Uh-huh. And um, you really don't know what you're gonna when you're making the film, whether it's a short or it's a feature. You don't really know what you're gonna you're making until you start editing. Yeah, and then you realize that you you've either made a complete disaster or you've made something that works and will be pleasant to the audience. Um, and sometimes what you what you see at the end is not you, you don't people don't experience the process that. I mean, I would argue that you don't even know what you're doing when you're starting to write the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know our last few films, 
I think the the feature film, which is untitled, it has a working title of Adrian and Sebastian, but we don't like that title, so it's oh, okay. untitled. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. And then Reverie, which is the last short film mm-hmm. we did, and even Bullied. I mean, not not Bullied so much, but I'd say Drift. Mm-hmm. The original scripts for all of those films are nothing to do with the finished product. I mean, a Drift. <laughs> if you watch a Drift. Mm-hmm. It was a completely different movie. It was a it was a weird like murder mystery kind of thing. Really? And Adrian is a, I mean Adrian, the the feature film. Yeah. Yeah. Um we had a bunch of other characters in there that when we went back and revised the script, I mean we like literally took out those characters and just made it a focus on the two main protagonists. So yeah. I mean even in the scripting phase what we originally thought was like the great idea was not the great idea. It was garbage. <laughs> and then we just went in, just completely just went in another direction. Uh, and even the last short that we did at Reverie was it's a completely different film. Like we, compl- our, our original script went out the garbage when we were editing the film. Right. That's crazy. I mean, I've heard them say, them. I've heard people say <laughs> there's three stories eventually, essentially. There's the original script. There's the story that's being told by the director, the mm-hmm. one who's making the film, and then the editor. Yeah, the editor basically goes in and rewrites the story. But as we go <laughs> right now, our editor is rewriting our feature film, <laughs> like figuratively and literally. Uh, they go in and they have their creative ideas and they bring them in. And, you know, I let let them do their work. It's better for us to you know be hands off. In that process. Because Reverie, I mean, we edited, so we've edited Reverie and Bullied. Mm-hmm. Bullied was a little bit more challenging because I think, see, the thing about, the thing for me is that if the script is not up to the level that it needs to be, I think it makes everything else more challenging. I think with Bullied, we kind of rushed that process a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. We came out with a film that, you know, I think works. I don't think it's, I don't think it's definitely a film that I like as much as Drift, for example. Or even Reverie, and Reverie was challenging because we literally did we literally did the pre-production and the production of that film, like the script writing from conception to finish of filming, in literally like two three months. Wow, which is nothing. I take forever to write a script, whether it's long or short. And my brother too. Like both of us writing together takes forever. Yeah, and but then the that, editing process took two years. The editing process took two years wow. because that because that was a challenge because we rushed the beginning of it because mm-hmm. we went into production without a finished script. And then when we finished the movie and we put together what we had written, we're like, wow, this is horrible. And we showed sure. it to a bunch of people and, and, and we got so much. I never had so much frustration with a movie because the, the, the reaction was so split. Some people thought it was good and some people thought it was just like one of our closest friends literally said, I think this is the worst movie you've ever made. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And, um, <laughs> and so we went back into the editing room frustrated and we're just like, well, let's just blow the whole thing up and take the pieces and put them together and come up with a film that I, you know, that more more than anything, I'm actually quite proud of because I think, I mean, there's things I would do differently, obviously, but like the film that actually came out on the other end, and then especially when we did the post production sound work on it, where the sound editors really brought some amazing ideas to the to the story and really enhanced it. Mm-hmm. It came out being a much better film than I think we ever could have imagined when we first wrote it. So, yeah, I mean, it's. But like just just to get there was a really frustrating experience that that taught us a lot of lessons. But it, you know we had a lot of knocks that we had to overcome. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was actually just watching Reverie this morning, and um, you know it. I think the total runtime is about seven minutes, six or seven minutes. Yeah. But in that short amount of time, though, it packs like an emotional punch. It really. I mean, at least for me, yeah. like I was, <laughs> and I felt. I don't know about you guys, but. I, it was just the story of the father, really. I think that like, he was like 
he was the focus. Yeah, I mean, right. when when it was originally conceived, it was supposed to be the story of the two, the father and son. Yeah. Uh, but then we realized that there was so much, there was so much content that was unnecessary. A lot of things that we shot that were just repetitive. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and and it just ultimately did it. it didn't need to be there. It and needed it, to be about the father. It and it also had a much more linear structure. Mm-hmm. So the way that it's structured right now with the kind of dream within a dream kind yeah. of makes it very kind of stream of consciousness, at least that we were trying for. Um, originally, it was a lot more linear and it was much more focused on this father trying to keep the secret away from his son. Mm. But when we put it together, like the, the keep away the spoilers, the kid's gonna, mm-hmm. yeah. is, this is kind of like going to die and his father doesn't know how to tell him. And that was the whole basis of the original story. But it didn't work because there wasn't enough conflict between these two characters and Mm. it wasn't really credible enough that this kid didn't understand the circumstances the kid comes off a lot more mature yeah and 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 like the reason why we did reverie also was because we've we've had this feature film script for many years that's gone unproduced and it's about a child that lives in in a cancer hospital that's kind of going through that experience of battling cancer within the the context of a hospital and when we did the research for that i mean those kids are they're so mature. They're mature beyond their years because of what they're experiencing, the challenges. Mm-hmm. They see friends passing away in front of mm-hmm. their eyes. I mean, the things that they experience are just heartbreaking. And so they obviously mature. So when we did the script for this, like I said, it was a very rushed process. I'm going to admit that. The story just didn't work because this, it wasn't believable that this kid didn't understand its context. So then we, when we re-visualized or we rethought it, we said, well, what if we just frame it from the perspective of the father remembering these last moments with his son? And the last shot of the movie. Oh my god! Was the <laughs> yeah. last shot of the movie? The last shot of the movie was shot in November. Was shot this past fall, two years oh, after wow. the film. A year and a half after we yeah. filmed wow. the original photography, because we said Boy, that's what's missing in this film. That kind of little moment to turn it on the audience. And so when we were shooting the feature film, um, our cinematographer took like an like a half an hour from shooting the feature and got in the car with my brother and just kind of got that shot. And then we put it into the film, and that was it. It was yeah. it was ready at that point. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, Ethan was saying like an emotional I- I impact. I, the whole time I was like, all right, I, I can, I'm, I'm okay, I'm all right. This is this is kind of rough. This is tough. And then that last thing that you're talking about, it's like sound editing, like you're talking about. Oh, waterfalls! I was, I was like, no, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> that was our editor, our sound editor's. Yeah, idea. that was our sound editor's idea. We that had we had originally had it as completely quiet. And then when we went into the studio, and by the way, they, they sounded it in Colombia. We did the sound editing in Colombia. We went into the studio to like listen to his like first proposal of the mix. Mm-hmm. And he had some other text in there. Like it was something else, but he had put text over this empty shot. And we're like, we like that, but not that text. So let's try and find something else. And then we found just the just that one moment where he says, dad yeah and we just said let's do that <laughs> yeah and then yeah roll credits it's just <laughs> and then roll credits <laughs> and that was it but it but that's the thing like right the the beauty of this process is it's that it's a collaborative process you're you're working with so many different people who have so many different ideas so one person's going to give you one idea the other person give you multiple ideas and you can work with all of those ideas i mean it sounds so cliche but it's so true like you can't make a film without having a good team around you. I mean, and like the experience that we had 
making this short film, I'm mean, making every single film. Yeah, it has been, it's all been a different experience with every single one of the, the films because the, the crew sizes have all been very different. We've worked with five people, we've worked with 25 people, so it's always different, but every single experience you take home is a very family-oriented experience, and if you have really good collaborators, you're going to take away some of your best friends as well. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it sounds like there, there's been a bunch of situations with, within these filmmaking process processes that you guys have like learned something just totally unexpected. And, and for you, what what would you find to be the biggest like impact where you're like, oh, I never expected that. I never thought we had to focus on that, or I didn't realize by making by shooting it in this way as opposed to that way, we're gonna have a completely different film. Like your woe moment, essentially. I think it's always different within each film. Um, I mean, when we shot Reverie, we 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 changed some scenes and we 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 um, improvised some scenes as well. When we just shot the feature film, uh, we were here in New York, and as we were shooting in the subway or shooting in uh, um, in the streets, we were coming up with different um, things to do. And there's some really beautiful shots that may or may not end up in the film mm -hmm. that, you know, you come out with. It's like, wow, I never expected I could do something so beautiful like that. Or, or um, you know, just in general, things like that. Improvising is always so great to, to do with your actors and always having yeah. time to do that because you get to learn from them and from their creative process and also... You get to work with your camera, your cameraman, and your sound guy, and they have different ideas as well. I think that I think you're constantly learning. I don't know if there's a big whoa moment. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I could come up with one if if I thought about it long enough. But right now, nothing's. I mean, it it depends on. I think each person just gives you a whoa. Like our editor Juan Soto for the feature film, the way that he's kind of like taking the film and stripped it down to its essentials. Like, makes you realize, like, he, he said it to us. He said, like, I think that some scenes are just over-explaining the film. And I think that the audience is a lot smarter than that. So, obviously, as a, as a, as a writer, you kind of want to make sure everything's crystal clear. And I think mm -hmm. it's so easy sometimes to get really involved in kind of writing too much dialogue or writing too much information. And then when you actually see the film, you realize, well, this scene that was really awesome in the script, well, maybe it doesn't need to be in the film after all, and it, it hurts to kill your darlings. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and we have, right now we have one of one of my favorite shots in the film. Right now is cut out of the the feature film, and I'm just like, no, but yeah. it has to go because it doesn't really add anything to the story and it doesn't bring anything. It just slows it down. So right. yeah, you can put that cool. on the DVD extras. You know, so it still exists. You'd be surprised how many scenes we've cut out of the feature film. Just, yeah. I mean. In, it, it's been kind of a, I mean, it's, it's good though because it frees you. Like when you have someone else that tells you like, don't, like we should cut this, we should cut that. And you're willing to like just go with that person because you trust that that person knows what they're doing. Mm. It's freeing because then you can be like, well, maybe like we were talking the other day, like we just sent a next batch of corrections. Our editor's in London. So we're constantly talking with him via Skype or, or um, email and WhatsApp and stuff like that. Yeah, And so... We're kind of like, he sent us a new version and we, we went through it together. We wrote down all our notes and we sent them over to him. And then we were just like, like the beginning of the film has some issues with pacing. Mm -hmm. And we were like going through some scenes and we realized that there's this one scene that we both really like between the two main characters. And I'm like, well, why don't we just kill it? 
because yeah. the, the scene that happens before that kind of gives that information. Yeah. And it, so, like, we're going into the second scene, which is useful, but the scene that it was most useful for is no longer in the film because we cut right. that out. So let's cut this scene out and see how it plays. Because cause right now, when we're still kind of early on in the editing process, I mean, granted, we want to be done within a few months with the final cut. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea is that it's all about that rhythm kind of getting into that groove and kind of sitting as a spectator and really getting into it. And the biggest thing that most people, like our producers that have seen the film, has uh, they've all said is like the beginning of the film takes some time to get going. Yeah. And and of course, that's a huge thing because if your audience is bored at the beginning, there's no They're way not you're going to stick around. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, you know, it's it's interesting to learn from that. And, and then, of course, you go and you look at your actors, and your actors always give you something unique because working yeah. with actors is a very complex process because everyone has... It's, they're so particular. Uh, they're also all different types of characters, all different techniques, um, and they're also... There's a lot of... I mean, I wouldn't say ego, but they're very sensitive people, so you have to know how to treat each actor a specific way. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it with all of the films that we've we've worked with. Each process is, is different. Some people take longer. Other people are there immediately and they can get into the scene in five minutes and they're ready and set to go. I mean, so much of directing a film for me comes down to organization and communication. You know, if you know exactly what you want to communicate and how you want to communicate it to the people that are going to do it, yeah. then you'll get, a, they'll, you'll, you'll get a good result. Because at the end of the day, my, my cinematographer is way better at, knowing what to do with the camera than me. My actor, obviously, is an actor. I'm not. Mm -hmm. Even if I have some acting training, my sound person knows what he wants to do with sound. He knows how to do it better than I will ever do. So in some Mm. ways, it's interesting being a, being the guy with the, the, being the guy with with the vision, (laughs) with the ideas, but also being like the least qualified for all of the particular (laughs) things that are going on around you. I mean, everyone else is better than you at these things that you're telling them to do. And you're just kind of trying to make it all come together under one vision. So it, it is an interesting dynamic and it, and it really comes down to trust and understand. I mean, we, we really focus on having kind of a family environment on set. Like for yeah. us, this whole hierarchy nonsense goes out the window the moment we're on set because we don't look at ourselves as bosses. We look at ourselves as collaborators with everyone else. And like my brother said before, we've ended up with really amazing friendships from our productions because of having that kind of family environment. I don't think you can make it an independent film without that. I mean, the hierarchical structure came came down the hill when we were shooting Adrift. We were in a van for, uh, for two days and <laughs> we, it was literally five people. And we said, you know what? I, I, I couldn't see the camera and I couldn't see what was going on. So I said, I told the sound guy, I'm sorry, but I'm going to take your sound machine. I'm going to record the sound myself because I want to be able to hear what the actors are doing. So I literally, the last day of shooting, I, I sat and I did, I did, I boomed and I recorded sound because I, I wanted to be part of the process and I just let everyone else do. <laughs> right. And there were some days in New York that we shot for the feature film where I had to, you know, we were going to be in Battery Park and we had nowhere to put our car with the gear and someone <laughs> needed to be. So I was like, all right, I'm driving. So I'll stick with the car while he goes off and he directs the scenes that we need to direct. I trust him. He trusts me. And we would switch these roles consistently because we had to play, put on many hats. I mean, at one point, our, our cinematographer was directing because we were, I was do, acting as producer. He was driving. He was doing other things. So we were, we were constantly switching gears, um, trying to get the whole film made. Because when we came to New York for the second part of our, our, our feature film, it was a crew of, five, a crew of six people. Um, as, as opposed, opposed to the 25 people that we worked with mm, for yeah. 25 
that was a very different experience because in Colombia we were literally pampered. Like we had a van, <laughs> yeah. we had a van picking That's us great. up every morning and doing a route and picking up all the all the. People. We had we had the PAs who would get a uh, coffee, a coffee, special breakfast, whatever we wanted. It was completely we different had, experience. Yeah, it was a very different. It was great in many ways because it's like the complete opposite of what that experience is like. You on the one hand you have the super organized, and everything is kind of like in its place structure. And then on the other hand, you have that freewheeling, well, we got to just go with the flow of five people with a big camera, sound equipment, a couple of actors. And I mean, we have to like take care of everything. Whereas in Colombia, we had someone in charge of the wardrobe every single day. Just like, this is what he's wearing on this dramatic day. This is what he's wearing on this dramatic day. <laughs> I mean, in, in New York, it was like us and the actors working together to figure out, okay, you have to wear this outfit for this scene and this outfit for this we had to carry the suitcases. We had to carry yeah. the, the the gear. We had to carry the food. Everything had to be. But it was great because we were all we all trusted each other. We had that nice relationship. Yeah, that, build, was... that builds a bond between you guys too. Something sure. you probably wouldn't get on like a even like a big studio feature or something like that. I'm sure there's. I mean, I've never I've never seen what that's like, but like I can imagine the hierarchy is very much there. Yeah. Well, and and a feature on a on a studio film there's also the unions that you have to work with so for example mm. you know yeah. uh, if you're a PA you can't touch the electric stuff if you're yeah. a best boy you can't touch certain things so you have there's a complete hierarchical structure that, that you can't right if a chair falls there's someone there that's got to be picking it up right. you can't help out I mean in some ways it's it's, it's good because it defines the roles very clearly, but obviously, you know, it, I mean, it all depends, right? Because when you're in a Hollywood production like that, it depends on the movie you're making, of course. Yeah. But if you have like a, uh, like if you're making a Star Wars movie, I mean, they could take their time for whatever, you know, they could, yeah. they could be there all day and just get one shot. And then the next day they still have money for the next day, you know, right? They're <laughs> never going to run out of money. Exactly. On Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But if you're like, you know, like you're making independent film, like time is money. Yeah. And so every single thing that happens, you don't have time for this. The chair fell. Who's in charge of picking up the chair? No, just pick up the chair. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to jump off something that you said where <clears throat> you were mentioning you guys wear a lot of hats. You guys both write, direct, produce. When you have those moments where you're saying, like, oh, I'm staying with the car, you're going to go, is it very, like, on the spot kind of moments when you divide up, like, who's doing what? what it, you're it's there? always planned. I mean, with Dave and me, we, we generally have an idea at this point of how we work. Um, I work a lot with, with, camera with art direction uh dave likes to work a lot more with actors i like to stay behind the camera to be able to see what's going on uh when we're shooting and then that's when i give my notes but it, it generally i think at this point we like to you know sh split the split the duties but also if i have a note he communicates because if so many people are communicating the same thing it gets confusing for the actors for the camera people for the art department right. for this and that and it's preferable that that you know, we we have a way of communicating so that everyone know, understands how it's happening. Yeah, and like, you know, I'll usually talk to the actors, but if he sees that I'm not getting his point across, well, yeah, he's going to jump in and say what he has to say. And, and, that's, <laughs> and that's how it works. But it, we've kind of built a rhythm where, where we know which one of, like, which one our strengths are, which is my strengths, which is his weaknesses, which are mine, so that we can kind of give ourselves that space to do what we do best. I mean, we had a, we had a very intimate scene that we were shooting um, in Colombia and you know it was easier for it was easier for him to communicate some things than it was for me um, it was also really important that we were both in the same room 
for those scenes. Because at the at the beginning of the scene, I was outside of the room with the crew, and Dave was inside with the camera cameraman and our cinematographer, and yeah, there are two actors. And I said, no, I'm going to go inside. I have to go communicate what I want because it's not coming out. And and that's that that we worked. And yeah, we had to close the door and kind of just put ourselves away from everyone else because there's some there's some moments on a set where it's really fun and we love to hear everyone's reaction to everything and how everyone feels about it and it gives you great ideas but then there's some scenes that are really delicate where you're just like okay i need to get that noise out of here because everyone has an opinion and that's Mm. great everyone has an opinion that's great but you don't always want everyone's opinion when you're trying to do something very sensitive and when you need to do it because the actors might be uncomfortable about certain things. And so in that case, we kind of, my brother and I sat down with, with another, with a, our casting director who was also consultant for us. She's an actress, she's a very good actress, and she was helping us a lot with some of the vocabulary, some of the, some of the ideas to get the actors what we wanted from them. And then the, just the basic camera crew and just kind of closed that door and got the scene. But, you know, that's kind of like both of us understanding how we work and when we need each other to be there all the time. There's other moments where, you know, we don't need to necessarily be there because we kind of know what we want and if they're giving it to us and we're good, we can move on. Hmm. But there's some moments where we really need to talk a lot more closely to be able to get what we need. Right. Very cool. Yeah. I wanted to go back real quick to, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about Adrift how it was originally a completely different type of story. So without, I don't want to give too much away, but how, how did it get to where it, what it eventually became? So I, well, Adrift came out of the need to make a movie because our, we graduated from college um, in 2011 and we had not, 2011. Yes. Okay. and we had not made a movie for four years. Mm. So we were planning a, a feature film that never happened. And we said, well, we're not going to direct a feature film without having had the experience of directing a short film again and and seeing how we've grown in four years. So I wrote a script, uh, which was called originally The Hitchhiker. And I've died. I've I've been dying to make a horror film. Uh, But, (laughs) and and we... The script was not good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I took one look at it. I'm like, oh. No, he said it has an interesting idea, but no. Okay. It doesn't okay. work. <laughs> but, and, we, but we but we said okay, let's rewrite it. Let's try to figure this out. And then we did um, auditions. We did auditions <laughs> with the original concept of a horror movie. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, wow. And we got two actors that are the two actors that are in the film and we love them and we're like we're going to do this and then my brother and I sat down and said, "Listen, this sucks." <laughs> like, <laughs> these actors deserve much better. These than actors we, deserve yeah. better, so we like literally put off the shoot. And it was actually Fortune. We're actually going to shoot it in early January. We're going to shoot it the first uh, weekend of January. Second weekend, the, like January 9th or tenth. No, mm-hmm. the first weekend. Was it the first? Weekend? It was after New Year's. Okay, it was January second <laughs> or something like. All right. That. So we decided, like, guys, we need to. Well, we had to postpone that first weekend because it was going to snow. Mm. Okay. Right, and then the following weekend, our grandmother passed away. Oh, okay. Sorry. And at that point, we're just like. These guys are busy. They have a crazy busy schedule. And we don't have time to do this until like February. February. So we decided to do it on the weekend of our birthdays. What better way to celebrate a birthday than do what you like? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and But at that point, right. we'd also taken time to kind of rewrite the script. Also yeah. rehearse, and also rehearse with our actors. Right. And also rehearse with the actors. And kind of just rethink the concept. Because the film 
that we ended up with still kind of possesses some of those elements, mm-hmm. I think. And it's interesting because we went to watch it at, at um, the Big Apple Film Festival a couple of years ago. And someone comes up to me, and I'd never heard anyone tell me this. They said, I was in suspense the entire movie because yeah. I was trying to figure out, is he going to do something to her or is she yeah. going to do something to him? And I'm like, you know, I never thought of the movie that way. Yeah. But um, but it's interesting that that some people still feel some of those elements from the early versions of the script kind of still there. And my and our, our friend, Andres Soto, who's the composer for most of our movies and yeah. who's composing the music for the feature film, he said, you know, the lack of music adds to that yeah well there's that and also the fact that it's just the two of them right right. it really it kind of that sense of just like there's no one else around yeah you know and that i could see like you know i felt that way too just like you know this could take a turn i don't know if it's going to but there's anything could kind of happen because it's only the two of them right Right, right, right. and you don't know like you don't like this guy like he seems pretty okay, but you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> right. Because you've seen a lot of movies like that where he's like, oh, this seems like a good enough guy. And then uh, things kind of take a turn for the worse. Right. All right. So it's that like isolation plus he has a se- this secret essentially until they, they express it in the, in the motel. But yeah, there's definitely that sense of what's about to happen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's just but I think that's but I think that's cool though because it kind of like it it sort of I don't, I want to say confuses you but it kind of gives you like a different idea and that's kind of fun. Right. Cuz yeah. I like when movies do that. Like anything where it's just like oh I think it's going to go one way and then it kind of tricks you. And well, and when 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 they actually audition they audition the the male protagonist he auditioned as like this very weird type of person because he was supposed to be this killer. He was really unsettling. He was unsettling. Yeah. And we really liked his audition from the beginning and she gave us like a really like very girlish, you know, very different type of character than what we we ended up getting in the film, but I think it works. Well, I mean, I'm really proud of the work that we did on that film. It's interesting because now we're writing a short script, and it's it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, that's great. but I'm not going to give away too much. Yeah, no, no, don't. No. But it, it it should be. I mean, it kind of. I'm not going to say anything. No, yeah, no. let's leave it at Please, that. Let's, right. let's leave okay. it at that. <laughs> so, I actually wanted to ask, what is the the process of casting like for you guys? Um, it varies well, from project to project. Yeah, it varies from project to project. If we go for, with a drift and are uh, bullied afterwards, those were done. Uh, we basically put up ads on Mandy, on casting websites, and we did casting ourselves. Um, very open auditions, yeah. Very open auditions, and we contacted the people that we liked. They sent us headshots. And with Reverie, it was different because we were doing this is a, we were doing this proof of concept for a feature film, so we already had a, a casting director. Um, on board for the film um, and so she was the one who did all the casting for that film she went to talent agencies and different places and we went through SAG um, Screen Actors mm. Guilds for that film um, and then in Colombia it was two different processes because we had actors here in New York and we had actors in Colombia because we we were doing it um, in Colombia we could not use SAG because if we were to use SAG SAG would charge us the rate that they charge studio movies impossible mm. <laughs> uh so i did the casting for the actors here in new york and we got a casting director who knew actors in colombia in colombia the process is very different because there is no casting system it really yeah. goes very differently like for example i just went to theater in colombia and i saw amazing talent and right now i'm like dying to get some of those actors on on another feature on a short that um that were the short that we're working on 
um, because you know it, it it really varies. Uh, but yeah, that's it's, it's really a different process for each film. Excellent. So essentially, what got you guys into filmmaking? Like, what was this the the impetus that yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah well, let's do this? Yeah, well, I yeah, I want to know that, and I also want to know like some inspirations. And yeah, I would. I used to say like I used to have one answer for this question, and yeah. now I'm not even sure that that's like a good enough answer. <laughs> I would say, well, my parents used to say that uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a director. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there was this little movie called uh, uh, Star Wars Episode. Three. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> which came out in uh, in 2005 we were that in high school familiar. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, we were like super big star wars fans when we were kids oh yeah like i mean and yeah i know that like whatever say what you want about the prequels i we liked them so much as yeah. kids we well, grew up watching those movies was i talking to you about this or Maybe. someone else where we I, I was talking to somebody where like the prequels so we're all about the same age so the prequels came out we were like like 10 11 years old right so the first, at least episode one. Yeah, yeah, so like, yeah. So at the time, it was like, this is awesome. Like Jar Jar Binks, sure. Like he's cool. <laughs> and then like, yeah, it's it's funny because and then like the second one, you have like the Yoda fight scene. Like yeah, oh, they yeah, do all these yeah, cool yeah, things. Yeah, so yeah. when you're a kid, like it's really fun. And I actually really like episode three. I still defend it to this day. I do too. Yeah, and but like as you get older, you look back at them, and at least for me, you're like, uh, maybe it's not as great as you know the original trilogy. And also, like hating Christians and acting <laughs> is uh, questionable. And, but I will. I think he actually got significantly better in episode three. I love episode three. I think it's good. For I think me, it's a good for, one. I know that. I know people don't like the the prequels, but episode three, I've always enjoyed it. Uh, like yeah. right up there, one and two with Empire Strikes Back. I, so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I, that. I know that people I mean, might not all, agree, but all I would just say it caught the, it caught us with the the filmmaking bug. So I think that that that's, <laughs> so you owe it that at least. I, right? At least we owe owe, owe that. To yeah, it. because and then, George Lucas. And then after, yeah, George <laughs> Lucas. And then I think after that we started discovering more and more different types of films. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to college and I studied film. Dave started studying journalism. And then he saw what I was doing, and then he. I transferred. I, well, I did double major in journalism <laughs> and film. Which has served me quite well, <laughs> yeah. yes. I might add. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the film kind of, yeah, my brother and I, we just kind of, when you're in college and you get exposed to different kinds of film, different kinds of filmmakers, different kinds of thinkers, and that's that's the beauty of a, a film program. I mean, sure. there's other things that you could question its merits, but at least being able to interact with people that are that are, have the same dream or that have the same goals, um, I think there's a beauty to that. And so we learned so much about different kinds of movies. I mean, my brother and I love indep- independent film and we love international cinema. I mean, we're mm. totally in love with European films, Latin American films. We haven't quite gotten ourselves. I mean, I've kind of taken a j- little bit of a dive more into like anime and, and Japanese mm-hmm. cinema. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like we, we've just kind of become really in love with the art form as a whole. And that's kind of informed the way that we've approached um like our films themselves. I mean, to, to say that we have one inspiration, it's very difficult. Obviously, sure. George yeah. Lucas is a big inspiration. And, you know, I think anyone would die to just direct a Star Wars movie just because it's Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, there's other filmmakers like that we've taken a lot of inspiration from. Like the Dardenne brothers are some of our favorites. Alfred Hitchcock, Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick. Paul uh, Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we can go on to Coen Brothers. Yeah, I mean, and also um, Catherine Bigelow we really yeah. like a lot. Yeah. Her stuff yeah. is great. And then there's just like, we, lo- we love Romanian cinema. Romanian <laughs> cinema, like right now, is like a golden age of Romania. There's so many amazing... A few years ago, I went to New York Film Festival, was it? And we saw this film called Sierra Nevada, which is just literally a room about a bunch of people in an apartment for three hours just kind of preparing this burial ceremony for for the the 
dead patriarch. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I mean, I literally... I, I didn't want it to end. I just could have kept going. Wow. It was three hours long. And Jeez, it's just that's, deep... then that's tough to do, especially if it's all in one place, it's it seems like. an amazing yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, and they never got a, it never got a full release here. No. But it's such a yeah. great film. But then there's also... Um, well, there's one Christian filmmaker, Manjou. Christian Manjou, which is one of my favorites. Uh, he did four, four, four months, months, three weeks, two days, which won the Con Film Festival in 2007. He did Graduation. That came out last year. And he did... Uh, what was the last one? Behind, Beyond the Hills which is another really amazing film. So these are all, you know, Romanian cinema is also big inspiration right now. And then um, like Chilean cinema is also amazing right now. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to check out any Chilean directors, but mm-hmm. Sebastian Lelo, who did a fantastic woman and yeah. Gloria, and he's just doing a film called Disobedience okay. with Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz. Oh, cool. And he's doing a Oh, I did, I did see, I think, a, a trailer for that, he's actually. He's an amazing filmmaker. Yeah. And then there's also... Um, Pablo Larraín, who did Neruda, who did Jackie, mm-hmm. who did mm-hmm. um, help me out here. Who did No? <laughs> he did I mean, okay. he's. I mean, these are. And then there's either other ones that people think are even better from his earlier in his career. Yeah. But like you know, Chilean cinema is really, really coming up. And there's Argent. I mean, there's like so much good filmmaking that's like we're trying to eat up as much as we can. Yeah. And it's not that easy because there's so much out there's there. So <laughs> there's so much out there. And we're yeah. also just trying to to really taking our own culture as well you know learning yeah. more about Colombian cinema uh, because you know for us right now I think one of the biggest inspirations that we, we we've had is you know just in general to really showcase our culture our origins because um, you know Colombian Col- Colombian culture in the United States or around the world is best known for one person Pablo Escobar and we're kind of tired of hearing about the the whole narcos and all yeah that's kind of all they've got right now <laughs> <laughs> it's, everyone's obsessed i mean to jump off that point one of the big reasons why we did make the feature film why we were inspired to make the feature film is because in latin america i mean colombia especially there's barely any lgbt films yeah i mean the, the, that topic is like really taboo and yeah. in cinema i mean there's like a, there's like a, you could probably count them on one hand the amount yeah. of films that are legitimately surrounding that theme and so we really wanted to kind of put a spotlight on that and look at it from a different perspective. And, and then it was also with the immigration thing, right? Yeah. Because our family, I mean, we're first generation Americans. Mm-hmm. Our family is a family of immigrants. But my parents don't have the experience of being here illegally or yeah. being here undocumented, as some people would put it. Um, my parents came here, you know, and they made a life for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to and, kind of... And that's what we grew up with. I mean, we didn't grow up knowing the illegal aliens that come to the United States. Undocumented experience. Undocumented. <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, we didn't know that. So it was, we see, in, we see in filmmaking that that's all that people emphasize, right? And I know mm-hmm. that that's a big topic and I know it's really important, but I think it's also important for people to realize that there's other ways that people come to this country that are also challenging. I mean, when we yeah. went to college, I went to my master's at Fordham, most of my classmates were... And I don't want to get too political, but I'm just going to just bring this up as part of the inspiration for the film. Um, a lot of them were students trying to kind of make a life here. And they didn't really have a chance of getting work visas or anything. So that the story kind of puts a little spotlight on that as well. And that's kind of where we went with, with the feature. That's awesome. I mean, you guys are kicking ass right now. That was You answered a question before I even asked it. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I guess I wanted to know with that, like, it sounds like I understand maybe the reason, but was it like a daunting task? Did you feel like a little uneasy going, I'm gonna, we're going to tackle like this social slash political kind of topic? Yeah. 
I mean, we're still struggling. <laughs> it, it, it was daunting, but I really wanted to do it. I mean, I think... Yeah, no, no, we wanted to do it. It's just, we, and, and right now, obviously, it's not an easy thing because obviously we know, we know there's going to be a resistance for some people. We, for we know that when the film comes out in Colombia, it's going to be a very interesting uh, reaction from, from the population. It's going to be very different. Um, people are going to have different mixed reactions. I think we're going to get a lot of good reaction from the y- young people, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe from the uh, older generation, the conservative generation, which is, you know, still a big part of, part of society i mean yeah they're a tough generation they're to tough, go after exactly so yeah. it's going to be definitely difficult and i know there was one film that was released last summer that uh they did a lot of promotion for but well uh, but they, it didn't do well at the box office in colombia people didn't go see it because of its subject matter and it mm. was similar subject matter not completely the same but yeah, it didn't do well. But I think that the I think it's important that even if you know that it's I mean, I think it's the most important thing we can do as filmmakers or as people in general is that if there's something that we know is challenging, we got to push we got to push against yeah. it because those are limits that are being imposed on us. Yeah. Right? People are telling us that this is wrong. We got to push that out of the way because there's there's a certain population that has not been represented and we want to show that that population hasn't been represented and I think it's important. That's extremely important. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, uh, from from the trailer that I saw and please correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed that it it's while the LGBT community has been gaining more rights and becoming more acceptable in the U.S. While it's far from perfect, the, these these guys are having to deal with the the opposite in Colombia, and at the same time, they're having to deal with how people treat are their viewpoints and how they're treating immigrants today in in the U.S. So it's it's seeming to me like there is no home for these guys. They're they're not really accepted anywhere. Well, well, let me let me just. They might have to try and like uh, shelter within each other, home within each other. Right. But let let me let me just uh, point out that in Colombia it is legal. Mm -hmm. A same-sex marriage is legal, and they there is a lot of rights for uh, the LGBT community, but. Um, it's very much segregated into very small communities. Okay, yeah. Because Colombia and a lot of Latin America is still very conservative, very mm-hmm. religious. So there's a big population, a big chunk of the population that does not accept the gay community. Gotcha. Um, and we also saw it while we were filming. We were filming one scene um, that was deemed inappropriate to be filming. We were shooting outside. Um, in front of a school. In front of a school. And it's really not... It was just two men hugging. There was really nothing wrong with what was going on. Uh, but the police stopped us. They said, you guys have to finish quickly because there are kids coming out and the this is inappropriate. And, and well, this the, is a very strong scene. That's how they mm-hmm. said it. Yeah, they said it was a very strong scene. And literally two guys hugging and maybe kissing each other on the cheek. I think that's as far as it went. Yeah. But the thing was... They could have been brothers. Right, yeah. yeah. And the thing was, But the thing was that they explained to us later was, you know, these teachers, if the, the kids go home to their parents and say, oh, they were making a movie and I saw two guys kissing... You know, who knows how the kids are going to explain that to their parents, yeah. like, right? Yeah. And how the parents are going to take it. And they're going to go back to the school and say, well, why are you letting my kids be exposed to this mm-hmm. stuff? And so the school's got to think about that first than some guys, you know, filming outside. And yeah. we had a, and we had a big crew. So it wasn't right. like we were, we were, you know, <laughs> not noticeable. We had right. all 25 people there. We had, we had uh, permits with police officers literally stopping the, the cars in the street so we wow. can get the scene. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was one issue. And, and that kind of emphasizes the fact that there are people that kind of look at that the LGBT community as weird or mm-hmm. as like 
yeah. not natural. And, and I mean, it, because if we're going to talk about... Because Bogota has a very big um, gay community and it's very gay friendly and has a lot of, you know, big, huge bars that are very, very world famous. Um, but... But if we're going to talk about, you know, how the community is still treated, it's still marginalized. I think mm-hmm. I think if the same, I think if you go to the United States, certain parts of the United States, you're going to oh, see sure. a lot of marginalization of the community, um, whether it's in small towns, whether it's in pueblos, um, whether it's even in the big city. You're going to see some things that sure. you would never have expected. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely much more of a, a cultural, not cultural and, and um, social Kind yeah, of exactly. Yeah. It's it's still social. I think, no matter how many laws we 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 can get, I think it's still something that is difficult for part of the population to mm-hmm. understand. And, and to I want to jump back to what you said about no home, and that's actually one of the things we were talking about with with when we were writing the script that these characters kind of struggle to find an identity within their world, either world, because mm-hmm. I think at the core of the story, the main character Adrian struggles to find an identity within himself and so that's mm. what's causing the uh. issue more than more so than more so than looking at it from you know his parents or the u.s and it was sorry in immigration you know the whole idea for us was that well he puts so much value in what other people think about him mm. than what he thinks about himself and that's where i think a lot of the tension in the story comes from from this guy that yeah i mean we understand we can empathize with the fact that he's scared about his parents situation especially seeing that you know his lover his boyfriend parents and family rejected him for being gay but at the same time it's like well what do you care more about like what's what's where are your priorities and i think the the one of the things that the people will see in the film is that the character of adrian struggles with an understanding of who he is as a person and right. that's kind of where the that's why the, the whole story kind of works out the way that it works out Oh wow! Yeah, that, that's even deeper than. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's, that's wild. Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's very it's more complex issue, I guess, than what's like on the surface. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and, and then else, are, oh, I'm sorry. No, peace. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say because there definitely are like certain communities uh, of of marginalized people who have uh, self hate. I mean, just due to what they see on TV and, and what, what society tells right, them. Right, exactly. So right. I, that that's that's a really interesting uh, take that you guys are going for. Well, it's it's like for anyone, it's like a hard thing to avoid. You know, if it's if it's something that you that you're used to seeing that's all around you, you're gonna think like, well, what's like what's wrong with me? It it, be, it becomes about that. You know, like a like you said, like a self kind of like a self discovery mm-hmm. you know, exactly. type thing. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, I guess slightly off topic but um did you guys i mean they're talking about like the oscar movies because you know the oscars were like a few weeks ago what did you guys see those yeah of the, course yes you course. saw it we all, saw all nine you saw all nine i think i actually the only one i didn't see was i didn't know oh, i'm sorry i didn't see call me by your name which i still want to oh. see which i hear is a, a great one and that's <laughs> that yeah. is that is the, i mean we we have this thing called movie pass not to do any advertising for MoviePass, but it's pretty damn good. I hear they're watching our location, so I'm not sure I love MoviePass right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, um but yeah, it's, it's made us able to see. I mean, we would watch them all no matter I saw, what. Yeah. I saw Call Me by Your Name three times just uh, in the because <laughs> you hated it. Because so I, I, I hated it. <laughs> I saw. It, I got I to see it, it twice. Yeah. I saw it once with him. Yeah. And okay. once with my girlfriend, and both times. Everyone, I mean, I, I really identified with the film, but then both times my girlfriend and my brother were like really emotionally struck by the movie. And it's yeah. absolutely, 
For me, that one and Phantom Thread are easily, like, of the nine that were nominated, were the top two. Really? Phantom Thread? I love Phantom Thread. Oh, that's Thread. interesting. Because I, I saw Phantom Thread, and I thought it was good. It wasn't my favorite. Okay. Um, I like The Shape of Water. Like, I saw it. I thought it was, I thought it was I a like, good movie. I like The Shape of Water, too. Um, I thought it was very topical. I thought it, it played a really interesting on the theme of The Outsider and mm-hmm. kind of, like... I mean, it was very much a very political <laughs> film. I mean, it was it was it, it it hit you on the nose in many ways with how political it was. Yeah. But I like that it was done in a fairy tale style. Yeah. So it kind of tells the story of the world today as a fairy tale. So I think that you can get away with those kinds of things because it is a fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The film that I didn't love was Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That, really? that wasn't. I, I liked it, but it wasn't my favorite of the of the bunch. Um, I got I saw it twice before the Oscars. So the mm-hmm. first time we saw it, we were just like, "Wow, we're bored out of our minds." I fell asleep during one part, but that's okay. It um, did have a lot of slow mo. That's that was actually my complaint. Is that it? Dr- there was parts that dragged, and that was a thing too. Where it was like, "Oh, they could have cut this out. They could have cut this out." I there was the, a lot of that. The issue with the film for me was that it kind of devolved into a lot of. It, it just went in too many directions yeah. and never came together. There's I, I, so many things going on in that movie, and by the end, I agree. I'm like, oh, second time watching, I'm like, you know, there's some really amazing stuff going on throughout the movie but then there's just some scenes that just don't fit together for me because i think at the end of it all um it just doesn't go anywhere and i think Mm -hmm. the director martin mcdonough right Mm -hmm. he himself said it was kind of like the whole purpose was it for it to be a mess but that just seems like an excuse honestly you know with all due respect to him (laughs) it just seems like an excuse for the fact that maybe he could have tightened the script a little bit because i just think kind of unfair like you just say like oh the movie was kind of a mess like ah, that was my intent like yeah (laughs) it doesn't really doesn't really make a whole lot of sense uh, what did you guys think of Get Out? I, I really I liked it. Get Out. Yeah. What'd you loved think? it. It's interesting. I mean, I enjoyed Get Out um, mm-hmm, yeah. as a piece of entertainment. I think is, I think it's, so I think one of the issues is that people anticipate like something, there's certain quality or some mystical nonsense that's expected out of what an Oscar film is. It's weird, isn't So it? when you yeah. have like a film like Get Out, which is clearly like a crowd pleaser, yeah. but not quite, it's a weird film. Yeah. Um, people are like, how's that Oscar nominated? It's interesting though. What was most interesting to me about that film was when we went to Columbia. Yeah. Like people don't understand the racial politics we live in in the United yeah. States because they because there's well, I mean there is racism let's not get let's not hide behind it but but it's not as you know seen um, yeah so when people were talking about Get Out they said it's a piece of trash it's not yeah, people great. are like it's such garbage it's garbage film, film. Yeah. it's not great I mean I personally thought Get Out was a really wonderful fun film but I forgot about it once you know you know Oscar season came about because you know if I was to, if we were gonna talk I. For me, you know, I really liked, for example, a film like Detroit or Mudbound, and I th- they covered mm-hmm. the same type of um, racial politics, racial politics okay, and yeah. subject matter. And for me, those films, you know, said something more than Get Out would ever say to me. But mm-hmm. I understand why Get Out would be would resonate because it's something that people want to see. I mean, it's like a big middle finger to like the affluent liberal white communities exactly. I mean, yeah. it's literally you guys yeah. think you guys are free from this racism but you guys are promoting it just as badly as the, mm-hmm. the really the people that are like super open about it in in the south or in the west or whatever you know i mean yeah. there's the film is a really big like punch in the face to to, to i mean it, it's i think it's great in that sense it was just really interesting seeing Colombians tell me it was garbage. I'm like, well, because maybe you guys don't understand what's going on in the U.S. as much right. as we do. Because this, I mean, it's a very much about American culture, social commentary I think, of American culture. Yeah. But, but yeah. it was not. It wasn't only um, 
it wasn't only Get Out, but I also heard the same type of thing of Moonlight, which is a oh. film that, you know, for me was, which I really loved. And when I'm hearing these, the, the commentary on Moonlight, I, in Colombia, I was very struck because it's something that was here that was heartfelt, that people absolutely loved and had a really huge following um, here when it came out uh, last year. But that's, that, that goes to show you different cultures take different things in different directions. I mean, yeah, I mean, the Moonlight as well, but I didn't hear it as much as Get Out. I mean, Get Out, yeah. people told me that movie is great garbage yeah i mean like <laughs> my parents didn't like it you know but like that's, but that's again, not, like but they just like oh it's weird we didn't see it yeah. with our parents because we knew our parents wouldn't like it yeah i mean my 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 parents i mean black panther was another movie i thought was really interesting and how mm. it as a superhero movie finally doing something like that's socially relevant i didn't at like least, it at yeah. least a marvel movie doing that <laughs> i don't i don't really see many superhero movies okay. but i i think this is one i need to see oh, I've been yeah, totally. great it's worth it i mean i'm not a big superhero guy either because i'm kind of sick of what marvel's done I'm just in terms of like yeah. in terms of like every single time i go to the marvel movie i just i don't care anymore because i know where it's going and else but yeah. with black panther um even though it kind of adheres to most of the superhero tropes but it goes to places socially politically and it talks about like concepts of what what is it to be part of a tribe is it just the race is it mm. culture what is it yeah is it national boundaries i mean it really speaks to the time we're living in right now and questions a lot of you know what's going on and i think that's the beauty of fantasy films because if we're going to look at them as fairy tales if we're going to look at them as fables i mean then fulfill that function and tell us something deeper than just like some superhero that overcomes himself and learns to battle some big antagonist and boom, the end. I mean, that, that's kind of, that story's already boring. Right. And I think that's where the issue might lie with you. I mean, it lies with me in watching most of Marvel f films. And obviously, I'm not even going with DC right now. Oh my God. <laughs> we had a whole episode just trashing Batman versus Superman. Oh, I don't no. want to even bother. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to revisit terrible. that. I mean, but like, but like, when I look at like Black Panther and I look back at the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight films, regardless of what you think about the Dark Knight um, rises, rises yeah. you know, those films had really interesting examinations of society and, and Christopher Nolan was really yeah. reaching or really looking and investigating the human psyche. I mean, The Dark Knight for me is a really amazing it's film. The, the, probably mm -hmm. the best superhero movie. But I think. Black Panther is a quite a good exploration of that as well. And I think I think he has the best villain that Marvel's ever put together. Oh, wow. Great. And that's, okay. I mean, granted, some people might be like, well, that's not saying much considering they're all terrible, but this is actually a good villain. Oh, this I is a villain you can sympathize with and then you actually understand and empathize with and you you might actually find yourself rooting for him in some runs because he is right about some things even if he's a little radical in his thinking mm -hmm. uh -huh. but it's really he challenges the hero and that's that's what that's a good villain good. does like the joker in, in the dark knight i mean yeah i mean oh really yeah it's one, it's one of those things where it's not necessarily the message the message that's the issue it's the method uh, by which he feels exactly. is the way to accomplish right. that message. Which is a perfectly legitimate one, too. Oh, because yeah. if you were in his shoes, you'd completely be like, yeah, like let's do it that way. Like <laughs> yeah. That's totally right. I mean, when you look at look at what's going on right now with some of the issues that we're dealing with in this country, I mean, sometimes you'd be like, yeah, we need something really radical to happen to kind of shift the politician's mindset. I mean, mm. with, you know, I don't want to get to political again, but like with the whole gun rights thing, right? I mean, yeah. sometimes you're just like, what what is it going to take for these guys to understand the situation but like yeah i mean in, in, this in movie, that case it's just it's like i'm actually surprised that like after this because after every time this happens with with shootings it's like nothing seems to happen and now now something seems to actually be happening which is really interesting where like this is where it's gotten to mm -hmm. 
Um, but well, it's interesting to see. Right. And, yeah. and, and just kind of tr- taking that back to Black Panther. I mean, yeah. the character has a really great idea, a really great like idea of what he, what he envisions. But it's just his method's a little bit like, okay, yeah, I get it. I, I can completely understand why you would want that. And it's just like, yeah. whoa, like you realize you're going to go down a path that it's going to be really challenging down mm-hmm. the line. Again, it, I think it's a very good superhero movie. For me personally, it's probably like the best thing Marvel's done since the first <laughs> Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first Iron Man was, was one I yeah. really liked. Well, it's, it's one of those things where the, the villain never thinks they're the villain. The, they think, yeah, this is, I'm, but, I'm in the right. But most of the time, it's like, yeah, you think so, but your plan is garbage. You want Right, yeah. exactly. And this is a time where it's like, I can see where you're going with this. And it's still, it's still world domination, but yeah. it's more sophisticated and more complex than that. I mean, it's yeah. kind of like, I mean, what he wants, I mean, I don't want to give away spoilers because people haven't seen it, maybe. Go see so it. And don't give it give away spoilers. Go see it, Go folks. see it. It's a good film. It's worth your time. Yeah. Yeah, the, the one movie that... Uh, I think we watched it. Mike and I watched it together. I loved it, and he hated it. Oh yeah. It was, uh, and I think it was one of the best movies of the year. It was the Florida Project. I don't know if oh, you guys saw that. Yes, we did. It's an interesting study of of. Uh, it's an interesting character study. It's not so much a, a, a plot driven film. It's not at all. And if you've seen any of other 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 of Sean Baker's films, you'll see mm-hmm. that that's what he really focuses on. I mean, yeah. Tangerine, not so much. Tangerine really follows a, a narrative thread, but his yeah. other films before that, they don't they don't follow that narrative thread. They follow a more um, intimate um, character study, and I think that's what the project Florida Project really does, and it mm-hmm. brings sight to people that we don't necessarily see in film. Yeah, and I think that's wonderful. That's what Sean Baker really does. He shows us these diverse people that we forget about. Yeah, that we yeah. don't. They don't have. They don't have a voice yeah. in cinema, and I think that's what's so wonderful about that film. Yeah, that I mean that's kind of how I felt too. But I think a lot of people look for like a plot driven. Where was your Where was your issues with it, Mike? Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe I was in just in the wrong mindset because maybe I was looking for a protagonist to root for, and I found nothing. I mean, uh, there was a part of me that was like, I can't blame the child for acting the way she is. Mm. She grew up in with a terrible mother. I'm sorry that she the mother is, I mean, for for one reason or another, is is not being the best role model if mm-hmm. you will uh so i was having i was struggling watch, watching it being like can somebody just like uh, take this child away from this mother and provide a good like family home and i think for that's her? i mean for me that's one of the things that's interesting about that film because if you i mean spoiler alert you go to the end of the movie and they run into disneyland and it's <laughs> it's gonna know in a, and he shot it on an iphone the rest of the film shot on 35 millimeter and he yeah. shot that sequence on an iphone mm. so they could get into disneyland yeah that was cool um but it's so fantastical right like that she runs away and she gets into disneyland and you kind of feel like wow but you know this is not a dream come true that this is just kind of like a mirage like yeah. this girl's still going to go back to living this really horrible life yeah and and the reality is that i think that's the the purpose of the film to kind of shine that light on hey guys like you know, we're the united states of america we're like the first world country of the world but like we have a lot of people in this country that are disenfranchised and ignored and look at the lives that they're living by the way like how can we how can we talk about solving other world problems when we're not even solving our own? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's the big thing. And and also I had a different view when when watching it. I didn't really hate any of the characters. They were like, of no. course I was I was pissed, but like 
I felt bad for all of them because I knew they were all like a victim of like circumstances. And, and that's yeah. what's so wonderful about his films is that you don't really show them as villains. They're just victims of their own circumstances. Mm-hmm. And going back to that, we, we saw this Argentine film uh, a few weeks ago at Neighboring Scenes in Lincoln Center. And it kind of had the same type of topic. It was about a prostitute who was trying to figure out what she was going to do with her life. And she kept going back to that lifestyle because, unfortunately, that's what they grow up to learn, and that's how they mm. figure out, and that's how, and that's how, that's their lifestyle that they don't know how to get out of. That's what they know. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I, I a few years ago I edited a documentary on the Lakota Indians. Okay. And the sad thing about editing that documentary, it was an hour and a half long, was learning that in the United States of America we have a third world country within ourselves. Like these people live with, I mean, worse than that. These people live with no clean water. They don't mm-hmm. live with electricity in some cases. I mean, there's just so many problems. They, they, they consider themselves prisoners of war. And it's a pretty accurate statement because they just live in these horrendous conditions where you're just like, again, why are we not looking at our solving our own problems instead of just putting out this image of like, we're going to solve the rest of the world's mm-hmm. problems when we have so many people in our country that we're not taking care of? What happened? Right. Yeah. That's yeah, and it's just something that like the media really does not cover nowadays. Right, it's not. I will say uh, what did it changed my mind slightly after watching Florida Project when I found out that the name of Disneyland originally was named the Florida Project. Mm -hmm. Like that was like I guess when when they were in in planning of of the theme park. When I found that out, I was like, oh, that that makes that more interesting. (laughs) Where you have quite the juxtaposition of the lap of luxury luxury you know it's it's a, it's a the whole park is a facade uh, oh, yeah. uh, of of just like fairy tales and princesses and stuff like that and then in the same same exact town you have these other people so i did it did raise my opinion of it but i don't know maybe i went into the movie expecting one thing and and i should have been more I don't know, a blank slate going into the movie. Well, that's kind of like that facade, what we're talking about with, you know, for example, Colombian cinema, where the facade is, it's all narco, it's all drug cartel. Mm. But if you go, you know, and I've been asked, is it safe to go to Colombia? And I'm like, well, I've been there twice in the past two years and I'm, I'm, I'm here in the United States. I, yeah. I mean, I lived fine. there for five months last year while we were preparing the feature film. Mm-hmm. I'm still here. I, yeah. never got, I never had any issues. I mean, it's just like in any, I think it's just knowing where to go and where not to go and being an understanding that I think anywhere you walk out, you're in danger. I mean, I don't like to think that way. Mm-hmm. I don't like to think that I walk out on the street and I'm, I'm in danger because that's just not the right mindset you want to go through living you, every you day. You don't want to be terrified all the exactly. time. Exactly. So, around. I mean, like, yeah, anything can happen anywhere. You anywhere know? here, you know, in New yeah. York, like places, anything. Yeah. Anywhere. So if, if, if you, uh, if you're in Colombia, it's a great, it's a great country. It's, it's got its problems just like everything else in the world does. Yeah. But it's, it's not dangerous. It's not like what the, the, the image that's been sold for all these years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So what, wrapping this yeah. up first, what do you guys like have coming out so that we could promote it? Uh, anything going to a film festival soon? So right now with Reverie, we just, we're submitting right now to film festivals. Awesome. Um, so hopefully, uh, summer or fall will be will be uh showing that film uh adrifts on amazon prime if mm-hmm. you have amazon prime <laughs> and uh with well, a feature film right now is in editing right now our editors in london and our plan is to finish it in the summer so we'll be in colombia the whole summer uh right now 
editing and uh, putting the post-production. Dave and I are recording the music, actually. Uh, oh, wow. Um, we play cello and violin, so we're going to be recording that. And we'll see how that goes. And after that, we're going to submit to film festivals and try to find distribution for the feature. And then, like and I said, we're... We're working on a short film, like I said. We're writing feature scripts. We're kind of in that. We're kind of in that moment where we're just like focusing on the feature film and enjoying the possibility of thinking about different ideas and projects. We do have that short horror script yeah. that we we'll hope to shoot in <laughs> Colombia this summer. Um, and yeah, that's where we are. Awesome. That's about it. All right. Well, that's excellent. I think we. I mean, we've been talking for over an hour here, yeah. so um we did pretty well <laughs> we did pretty well thanks a lot guys really appreciate you guys coming here no we Thank really you very much. Much. we appreciate really appreciate it. you guys giving us the floor and allowing us the opportunity to speak with you guys of course yeah of and course. we'll make sure to we'll blast you guys websites and links and stuff like that everybody mm. will find you yeah and if there's anything you guys forgot just let us know we'll we'll put that up there we've got okay. a lot of a lot of places on social media yes. to promote awesome. all right well thank you thank, so much thanks guys and thank you everyone for listening we'll catch you next time peace